0: But what I want to talk of is actually something very, very serious today. Uh, We know this country or the Western world, we are at a crossroad. I mean, the last two years revealed the true nature of white man. You know, there's no doubt in us anymore we have problems. Yeah. And what I want to share with you, and I do want to stay very little on this subject, because I want more to put my emphasis on the solution. Yeah. You know, the word zeitgeist, is, everybody knows it about. You know, it's the spirit of the age. And it was a man that wrote a book, you know, World War I era about the, uh, the spirit of age. I want to call the spirit of the age of today, the zeitgeist that rules today, is fressen. It's a German word, too. In English, the, the language just used one word for eat. You and me go eat. A cow does what? Eats. In the German language, it's different. Uh, We essen, eat. And a cow, frist, or fressen. And when I grew up in South Africa, there was a distinction made. A Christian eats because He's got the law of God deep in his heart. And every action of a Christian is different than everything else. Even other nations that are not Christian, they do what? They threaten. Okay, to define the word threaten, the closest I can come to in the English language is wolf down. But Really, to define it for you, if you would take a monkey and put him right here and give him something to eat, and, you know, while he's eating, you hand him another piece. He'll grab that and take a bite, too, and you give him another piece. Finally, his hands are full, his mouth is full, and he'll just take a bite and drop it. it it'll be everywhere. That is fressen. I come to the conclusion that the Western world And and I don't talk other nations now. We are in the state of fressen. We do not care about anything. This virus that went around showed it. We do not care. Look at the help wanted signs. We do not care anymore. We just want to see what we can grab and consume on our own lust that nature of a Christian is gone of a nation. Gone. And that's how far I want to talk of Fressen. that zeitgeist of Fressen because I can spend a lot of time there, but that's not the solution. And what I'm trying to say, if I look back about 1987 to about 1990, We were exactly the same place as where America is today. Okay, now you look at these years we are living in 2022. We have a perfect example to look back at. Look at South Africa. What happened? And it's going to go faster in this nation than what had happened there. We live in a very, very serious time. In 35 years from now, where will this congregation be? It is a decision that is going to be made today. Not tomorrow, today. is what's going to decide where you will be. What I'm trying to say is, the last conversation that I had with a wonderful dear friend of mine and that's what brought this lesson on was you know and you know him he was here 2 years ago he just passed away in Germany a few months ago or a month ago Keith Moose I actually talked to him on the way to the music store we hung up the phone as he walked into the music store so hour, half hour before his death. And we talked of this dilemma. And the thing that we talked of, too, is we talked way back in 1987. We were part of a group of people in South Africa, men, Israel men, that all gathered in Kuruman to start a church, an Israel church. And we hammered out in the next few days, there eight, 900 men there to join together to start a church. And we agreed about during that time in, in South Africa, there was three or four that we could remember, churches, Israel congregations, meaning different affiliation. Guess how many were there as of a month or two ago? Take a wild guess. 312. You know, that's what fressen means. We want to consume even this word of God on our own lust. Because I can't get along with a fellow brother, so I start my own church. And there's probably just 310 Israelites in the country. But there's 312 churches. You know, we have this attitude of the only two people that I can trust is me and you. But I doubt you. Enough said. Let's move now from Fressen to Essen. Let's eat. word of God as a Christian with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and for me it's very significant and you know I might get very very emotional tonight because it is a very emotional thing to talk about the emphasis if you look what happened during this feast in this congregation every single meeting that we attended they highlighted what and what he did on the cross Amen. at Golgotha's Hill. <clears throat> That's the only way you'll move this zeitgeist of fressen to something positive, is to come to that cross and change your life. And that's what I want to talk about, how to change from Fressen to Essen. The story begins really, you know, and we sang the song already about this verse in Isaiah chapter 52, 52, 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tiding. Good tiding. That publisheth peace. Do we need peace right now? That bringeth good tiding of good. That publisheth salvation. That saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. This message, when I entered this building in 1991, was given to me. It changed my life. And if I can just share with you who I was. I mean, most people do not know. Actually, our dear pastor. I mean, if I can say it in this fashion, he probably was the closest of finding out who I was. I talk of a very, very aggressive person. Boys? Yeah. Instantaneous action. And remember, in a service where we were, they even trained us to be this way. And I'll use one example. On, a, on the mission trip that Pastor and Louis and Anuki and I were on, we got to Ermelo. And Pastor started preaching. And everything was, you know, the sofas and chairs were kind of rounded towards a corner. And then pastor preached. And you got this murmuring going on in the back. These men that looked like they had these big old trench coats on, it was wintertime, <laughs> they frankly looked like oil was dripping off them. And I quickly found out these people are anti-Paul people. And I sat over, you know, I I just couldn't handle this. And then they started the doctrinal issue against what we believe is so wrong. (laughs) I did the same as Moses. I did the same as Peter. I jumped over these chairs to the back, I threw them out of their own house. I didn't think that's the man I was, or in a lot of ways still are. But I realized I need to change after I heard the gospel. The story, the good tiding that I received at this pulpit And I still have a long, long way to go. And why do I say this, dear people? The last conversations that we had with Johanna, before she passed the day, you know, we talked about she has to get ready. You know, is she ready to meet a savior? And then she turned it around. She says, Papa, what about you? Are you ready? (laughs) And she quoted a story that happened in 1838 to our family. Why we left Germany. And it was a sermon made out of Revelation chapter 12 that we are leaving Germany to take this gospel, what we're talking of, to preserve it in the wilderness, in Africa. Because the time will come when the Muslim will overrun Europe and we'll have to come back from the wilderness and preach again. This little girl told me that time has passed. Am I ready? Because Satan is going to be loosed. That's five years ago. And you know what happened two years ago. Are we truly doing what Isaiah 52 is talking of? Is our vision a vision of hope for our children? And how do you bring this vision of hope? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter. 50, 61. What did I do now with my glasses? Oh, here in my pocket. Okay, let's all, I want everybody to open the Bible as we read here. Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tiding unto the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captive and the opening of a prison to them that are bound to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give unto them beautiful ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called the trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And then these beautiful verses. And they shall build the old wastes. They shall raise up the former desolation, and they shall repair The waste city, the desolation of many generations. What am I reading here? This is what I want to bring forward to. What did Christ on that cross do? What did he do? Okay, we all always say he fulfilled every aspect of the law. But this is the gospel that needs to be preached to you and me and to our children in order to come from Fresen to Essen, because it will change our nation. And I don't mean America. I I mean Israel. This, if I can say, what he tried to do or what he did successfully the culmination at this cross is in found in the, uh, in Luke. Let us read what uh, Luke says. What Zacharias talks of. This is now John's father. You know, John lost. Uh, Zacharias lost his voice because of unbelief. And then, verse 67 in verse 1, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he hath visited and redeemed his people and have raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spake by the, his holy prophet, which have since the world began, that we should be safe from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us. How is it then that we are still enemies today? To perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our our father Abraham, that he would grant unto us that we, being delivered out of his hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. But there's a word there that says that he remembered his covenants So let's read another chapter or another verse in the prophet Nahum to clarify this. The Nahum chapter 1, and this verse starts the same as in Isaiah. Behold upon the mountain, verse 15, behold upon the mountain the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. What this prophet is saying, watch, look, who is preaching this tiding? And then it defines it. Not as far prophet Isaiah is so good, but here in Nahum, he defines it. What is the good tiding? And then he says, O Judah, Keep thy solemn feast. Perform thy vows, for the wicked shall no more pass through thee. He's utterly cut off. So, what is he saying? How is he defining what is the good news? He's pointing you back to something that is not done anymore. And that is, keep the what? What was the first one? So let's, let's, for argument's sake, say that is the Sabbath command. He's pointing you to the first place. Come and keep the feast. Don't worry about all your problems that you have with your neighbor. Just come to feast, because this is where I'm going to work with you. This is where I'm going to change you. Just come together because under the ordinances of God, he's going to reveal his word. Yeah. He's going to change you, the same as what we heard at this cross this whole week. And then he says something else. He says, remember your what? Oh, perform thy vows. What is a vow also in another word for vow? A promise, a promise or a covenant. Yeah. How many covenants did Jesus Christ fulfill on this cross? Not just fulfill, magnify He made it so beautiful that we can just smile. And fight again and walk. Let me bring something out for you. How marvelous I'm talking, this is what Jesus Christ did on that cross. The first Passover, slaves went in the inner rooms, doubted the doors with the blood to fulfill the covenant. When they left Egypt, God states they were a mighty what? Army. Army. Not a slave anymore. And then it states something else. There was not one found feeble among them. Not one. So that night, through covenant keeping, the sick were healed. We have something greater than that blood of a lamb on our doorpost. We have blood that dripped from the cross of Jesus. People, I want to really encourage you today. Let us look at those two aspects, the Sabbath and the covenants. In the fall of Adam and Eve, we lost the glory that he intended for us through a decision you and me made too in their loins. And God, in his mercy, gave us covenants. And we can start with the first one that I think is absolutely beautiful that is tied also to the Passover, the Abrahamic covenant. Did you ever wonder how wonderful it is to, to have a promise of a covenant, if we do it, that you'll perform? And I, I want to just lift one thing out out of the Abrahamic, uh, Adamic covenant, the covenant uh, of creation, that he said to Adam to multiply. He said, multiply. That's just four. That's not very much. And then it states, and I want everybody to look at this, in Exodus chapter 1, in verse 7, it states, and this is what the children of Israel did as slaves. And the children of Israel were fruitful. Did it stop there? And increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. How many souls went to Egypt? Seventy. Okay, let's look at it now. In, In Numbers, it talks of Moses' genealogy. Moses was the grandson of Levi. So he was third generation. And then let's, for argument's sake, say there were two more. Because when he delivered Israel, he was 80 years old. So let's say there was five generation. How many people left Egypt? That is some business. They did something so tremendously. And when Pastor said, the fifth generation is already here from his generation. People, let's observe the covenants of God, they are our salvation. The problem in Israel, though, we don't look at the covenant we look at the laws and the statutes connected to the covenant and we judge our brother according to the law the keeping of it and the statutes, instead of pointing our brother and sister to the covenant and the meaning of a covenant why and i think that is our biggest fault We need to start pointing people to the covenant of God itself. Why the covenant was made. You can look at all these covenants. The Abrahamic covenant. The Davidic covenant. And then there's even Levitical covenants that was just made with a family, with a preacher, so to speak. And then there's there's even other covenants that are personal. I mean, uh, there's covenants if a young man has a problem. What does it say? Make a covenant with your... Okay, and the laws concerning that says even if you have a problem, just run. Put your shoes on and start running. I think we need to very seriously... Look at the covenants of God. That is our salvation. We need to lift them up to a degree that is going to be done and performed that God can do his side. Let me use an example. Who ever heard of Obamacare? It was in the 1600s when the Black, was it the Black Plague? Hit Europe. It was after the, I think the 30 year war, wasn't it? And they were decimated, decimated. The Black Plague hit that place, the town, and it was in, I think it was, wasn't it, somewhere in Germany? And they decided, the church fathers decided they'll make a vow to God. If God will help them, that the plague will stop that they'll do the Passion of a Christ, a play, every 10 years. And guess what happened to the plague? It immediately stopped. That is the longest vow that I know, covenant, that is actually kept, that I know of. Let me tell you another story, because it has two sides to it. You all heard of the covenant at Blood River. Yeah. Yeah. The mighty act of God to save a small, small handful of our people. Yeah. It was just a few years later that was not observed anymore, the promise they made to God. Just a few years. And I'm talking less than 40 And then the hordes of the the English crown wanted to steal the land. And they came in to annex the land. And then there was a renewing of a vow made, 1880, 80-something, at Pardegraal. It was involving 600 and some people, men that gathered together there to renew the vow. And the English already were coming. And 220 of those men that were at the vow, the renewing of a vow, actually went down to go fight the, the English. And these English were dug in on a mountain called Amayuba, Amachuba. And it was 3,000 English soldiers, a very, very famous general. Duck in there. And when these men, 200 and some men, they said, how much ammo do we have? And they divided the ammunition between themselves. And each man had 11 rounds. And they went up that hill. How many were lost? Not one. And how many of the English were lost? All of them. What I'm trying to say, if you look at that vow, at Blood River, that, that battle actually at Amatuba ended the First Boer War. And then there was a call made again, let's go back to the vow and keep the vow. Did the Boer nation do it? They didn't. And the English came and took the land. Where my father, uh, grandfather was in a concentration camp in Santa Helena, it was commonly known we lost the war because of one thing, because we didn't keep our side of a covenant. And that's what my father told me. The English were so concerned when they took that country that at of the Kraal, they had a big heap of rock, where the six men gathered rock. I mean, it was a pile high in the sky. But they took even those rocks away in order to, that the remembrance of that vow will be vanished. People, covenants are important. In order to survive the future where we are going, there's just one option to be children of a covenant. We need to be covenant children. Okay, let me lift up, uh, you know, uh, uh, another covenant. There's a covenant that, that is made in marriage, isn't it? And if you marry, are you just talking to your spouse? Okay, your covenant said... That you have to honor me. Are you just emphasizing that point, or the wife says, Well, you, you promised you would love me? Are you just emphasizing the one point, or are you looking at the greater covenant? If you are truly one, you'll look at the covenant itself. Why did you make a covenant? It's to bring godly offspring a household, a future government on earth. And there's a purpose for that, and that purpose is for God's holiness to reign. So each and every covenant that we look at, the Abrahamic covenant, for example, we take that one. It is that we as a people will have a seed line on earth and that is magnified through it all the way to the cross. And it's, it holds us, it safeguards a nation up to the cross. Like Zacharias, <clears throat> no, it was, uh, who, who was that uh, person when, when Jesus was brought to the temple? There was a man waiting for him. And he says, now I have seen the salvation. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why did he use that word? The promise of a covenant. Yeah. And let thy servant go in? Peace. In peace. See, that brings peace. <coughs> this is what covenants are. They safeguard us in the sa- in, in sinful world we live in. And there's something so significant about these covenants if you come to the cross. If you come... You know, we heard about the sufferings of Christ. What happened there? There's things that happened that are so sweet, why you have salvation. Could, s- Noah, could you come run up here quickly? You can put them up while I talk because it's gonna take too long. What I want to lift up, uh, just hold you in the back that so they don't flop around. These covenants are made possible for you to keep the power that Christ gave us now at the cross are in the form of blood drops and we heard a sermon one time about it a, w- a while back the first one is in a uh, in a garden of olives where he sweat It has numbers in the back. That's the final one. And it goes through. And if you look at the covenants, look at these covenants that were made. For example, the edemic covenants, or covenants of creation, you look at that sweat. Did he heal our sweat on Earth? We need to look at these things when He was bruised for our iniquity. That blood that came, He washed and purified every covenant in such a beauty that you are able to overcome now. You. Because that perfect blood is there now. And then he takes this blood, and he magnifies us and points us even forward in making a new covenant. Because now you are blood washed. And I want to go through these things. You know, there's the hand, the blood in the hand. What does your hand represent? work isn't it he cleaned you that you are able to work in a godly fashion that you can overcome your labor that was a drudgery there's your feet the feet the blood that came from the feet and it it says of christ that he's going to do what he's going to do something to the serpent so he gives you power to tread on serpents, too, now. Yeah. And then there... see, that's why I put him there, because he's going to be slow, too. <laughs> the crown, you can overcome and rule right, too. You don't need to be harsh what we just read there in in, uh, Isaiah 61, in the spirit of what? Meekness. And that's one thing that I really want to lift up, too. You look at Moses. When Moses wanted to do the covenant and bring the people out of Egypt in his own power, was he successful? Because he wanted to lead the children of Israel out. But when this man became a man under authority, what happened? And then that man that had no patience, no meekness, is called the what? The meekest person. There is Peter, you and me, But Jesus says, when you are converted, strengthen your brethren. That is not judgmental. That's strengthening. Isaiah chapter 61 two. And <coughs> you know, I just want to lift, if, if you cannot all read it, there's a crown blood, thank you, the sweat blood, and that's just terms that I coined, the scorched blood, the water blood, where it comes out of your sight. Yes. The hand blood, the feet blood, and the final, what I call final blood. But that's where, say, where Christ says, it is done. Yeah. And he gave up the ghost. Yeah. And blood came even out of his mouth. It makes it possible that this man even can talk now in purity and holiness, in righteousness. And the same will happen to each and every one. And dear people, and I say this in very humbleness of mind, we started this service tonight. Our people are suffering. It's not just my son. Every one of you suffering. The list was a mile long. And I think we need to come down to this covenant and plead that blood. Because we are ignorant. Of the true nature of where it came from. Where our healing should be from. And I can just talk for myself. And you know my situation. That's what I hold on to. That's where I get my strength from. That that son of mine will be healed day when covenant building is going to be made again. Amen. Because that's when God is going to do it for everyone. Amen. Not just me. For that young man there. For everyone. But it comes back to covenant keeping. Amen. Not dividing the sheep. Let us come together in covenant-keeping. You know, let's read Hebrews chapter 11. I think it is very, very... Let's look at it from a different eye. This is the wonderful aspect of the Word of God. Let's look at it, and I'll talk it from a different viewpoint. Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. What is the substance? The covenant. The covenant that God made to to, uh, Adam. The covenant that he made to Abraham that he made to David, for example, the covenant that he made to David promised us what? A king, isn't it? This this king had to suffer first and put his enemy to, to shame. It's the covenant is the substance of our faith. That we can hold on to. Because without the covenant, we are nothing. Without the covenant, we are not even Abraham's seed. Right. For by it, the elders obtained a good report. By the covenant. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. And then it continues the whole narrative. It's the covenants. Let's look at this substance, the covenants of God, and bring our people into this wonderful, beautiful news of a covenants. Observe the covenants. Bring back the covenants of God. That is the good news, the tidings that need to be preached. That fulfillment, every covenant in Old Covenant in Old Testament, points to Christ. The fulfillment that is going to happen at the cross. It don't mean it's the end of a covenant. He magnified it, because now he washed it. And if, if the elders obtained a good report by it, how much more do you have having these seven droplets of, of blood of a future? How much more hope do you have even going into this dark world? Let's turn to Revelation chapter 19. And I'm sorry, I never pushed the button here. Uh, If you can just tell me five minutes or... uh, Revelation chapter 19, and we'll start in verse chapter 6. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude... Am I... It should start with Alleluia. Oh, it's in the middle of a verse. I'll start in the the middle of a verse. Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, Write, blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said unto me, These are the true sayings of God. Okay, what I'm trying to tell you, now the end of all these, the thrust of all these covenants ended here. In salvation, how to overcome. And now from here forward, Jesus brings something much greater, even than here. The marriage supper of the Lamb. And you have to apply this in order to get there. And that's another covenant. How do you apply it? It is first by faith of these covenants. But then it's also obedience to come under the covenant. Let's turn to Romans chapter 13. The night, let me just make sure, uh, 1312. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, And let us put on the armor of light. There is no stronger armor that we can have than putting on the covenants of God. Especially the one that Christ introduced. And you wonder probably, what is this? It's baptism. This is how you enter into the covenant. It don't take these covenants away. It magnifies them. Yes. And then he says, these our children will continue in holiness. Why do I say this? Can this flesh inherit the kingdom of God? That's the last thing that he will change. Is this vile flesh? Yeah. But from here on, he covers even that. And that's baptism. That we are un- unify or we are buried with him in his death. So that Christ can accept us in of the Father, that we can go to him. And then the question is, is this for you just you alone? Or is it for your children too? See, that is a real question. And I, I'm I'm asking you this question now. Leave Christianity out. The world, how they interpret it, is outside of a covenant interpret the whole Scripture as a child of God, as an Israel of God, through the covenants of Almighty God. How He safeguards you, how He walks you forward, and He accepts you. And He prepares you. Let's turn to Romans chapter 6. And it says there in verse 3, Know ye not that so many as of us as were baptized in Jesus Christ were baptized in his death? So this is the covering that he is applying. He God the Father looks at us now through the blood. This blood. And then six nineteen I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servant to uncleanness and to iniquity and to iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to the righteousness unto holiness. After you took on this covenant, this is what you're about now. Righteousness. And then it says, death where is your sting? It can just be truly seen through the covenants of God. And then it says then, you know what we just read there, his wife made herself ready. He points us to that rest That's the Hebrew chapter now. The substance, he's giving us the substance of the kingdom, the marriage supper of the Lamb. My belief, as I understand covenants, the culmination of all these are unified in the covenant of their baptism. You cannot believe in any one of them if you don't believe in baptism. You will not enter into the kingdom of God. And then he said there too, blessed are they which were called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you blessed? Question. Are you obeying the covenant And I've got a question now to each and every one of you. Earlier I said, "This said zeitgeist of fressen. Do you want to be eaten? Do you want to be consumed by this world? The decision is up to you, dear people. The choice is yours. And it states, let me, let's all turn to the scripture, Isaiah, again the prophet Isaiah, chapter 59. This is the last verse uh, in, in Isaiah, chapter 59. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, seed saith the Lord, from henceforth and forever. And then the next beautiful verse right there. Chapter 60, Arise. Shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. Accept it and rise. Your children have hope in this future we live in, but it all turns at the covenant. Are you willing to arise? and be blessed by them. Thank you.